Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of So Many Games, So Little Time. For those of you who are listening for the first time, my name's Wes. Coming to you from the Xbox Game Pass Discord server, where we talk about, well, games on Xbox Game Pass. This week, we are talking about Psychonauts 2. Joining me, I've got Bennett and Nave from the Gaming Together podcast. Well, I should probably specify Bennett, unless he's doing stuff behind the scenes I'd know about isn't on the podcast, but Nave is. And in the audience will be joining us soon is Chris from One Hour, One Decision. So, uh, yeah. So, Bennett, you told me a little bit behind the scenes. You've actually 100%ed Psychonauts 2, correct? Yeah, that's right. Just a couple weeks ago. Nice. Damn. And I haven't 100%ed it, but I will say this. You know, I was not that impressed by the very first game. Uh, if you heard my last episode, you would know I thought it was okay, but certain parts of it haven't aged well. Before I say anything else on the second game, I will say this. Is this what people thought they were playing in 2005? Because this is fantastic. Like, that is like a good way to put it. Just recently I listened to a podcast, I can't remember which one it was. But um, they were talking about Halo Infinite, and that's how they imagined Halo 2 was. And they went back and played Halo 2, and they're like, this is so slow. And right. it's so weird to hear that again, that kind of, what is it, synchronicity. That's pretty funny. I, I promise I didn't copy that, at least not on purpose. You know what they say, though, great minds think alike, but fools rarely differ. <laughs> but yeah. but I think that's a good point, too. Like, you hear all those really positive things about the first game, and maybe right. when you go back, it doesn't quite age that well. But I certainly think when you look at what 2 did, it certainly brought that formula and really modernized it. Absolutely. So, like, because games in 2005, let's be honest, Psychonauts was very unique for the time. I'd say Psychonauts 2 is still pretty unique today, but they could get away with more back then with just an impressive concept. But they knew if they had to release it today, they had to not only keep everything that made the first game memorable, but improve upon what everyone didn't like about the first game. Does that make sense? Because they had a sequel, six, feels like it should. Right. right. They had 16 years of hype to live up to. <clears throat> and while I, like I said, I was not part of the original hype train because I didn't play the original game until this year, I now see why everyone wanted a sequel so bad. You know? It's definitely but, really charming. It's absolutely. kind of a shame that a lot of the characters from the original didn't show up, but. <laughs> Oh yeah, I have I think that. The new characters are fine. I have that in my notes too. That uh, I was especially disappointed with the fact that Dogen doesn't make an appearance, but True. His, but his sister Sam does, and it almost kind of like brought his spirit along with him. If that makes sense. Yeah. Except Sam you... is a lot more malicious in Dogen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did you notice it was that that was uh, Dogen's sister at first? Because I for sure didn't. Until, uh, like, the pancake room when they started talking about it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, ah! you know? I think it took me a little bit. Uh, but. Yeah, I, well, I think it, I think that's one of the things the sequel did well. Like, I first played the original just um, just this year like you did and kind of bounced off it because it felt a little outdated. Um, but I kind of got a, a little introduction to some of those characters. Um, but those are heavily referenced um, in the second game. So even as someone who didn't play it, you could kind of feel that they were at least paying homage to that. 
Um, and like, like I think Compton Bull too um, is related. And so you can kind of see how they were kind of referencing that at least in an Easter egg sort of a way for fans of the original. Right. And so, oh, so I'm the only one that's played it back whenever it was on the OG, huh? I guess so. The um, I remember back in the day, it was always on G4 TV on this show called Cheat. They were always showing where to find scavenger hunt items, which I think that comes back in this game as well as a side quest. It, and it, I remember it, going, I need to get this game because I know where all of these like scavenger hunt items are, but I don't have the game. <laughs> so that's why I bought it the first time. Uh, would you say it was worth it? Oh, yeah. I wasn't expecting it to be so like funny, you know, <laughs> like there was there's not a whole lot of like just genuinely funny games. But and this one is like that as well. Right. Yeah, I got to say, though, one thing that's greatly improved is simply put the platformer. you know, one of the issues of the first Psychonauts, it's a platformer where the platforming is honestly just OK. And the controls that at least the clunky ish controls really didn't help. But this game, it, the controls felt a lot more natural. Everything felt like a modern game at this point. Because it is. And it made, in my opinion, exploration so much more fun, you know? And the first Psychonauts, if I got through, for me at least, what was a difficult section, and my prize was one or two figments, I would have been like, seriously? That's <laughs> all I get? And this one, if I go through all that and I get one or two figments, I go, wow, I had fun getting here. The fact that I get just a little something extra is just like a little cherry on top, you know? For sure. I mean, especially when the game is filled with so many diverse environments, too. Like, just looking back on my experience, to think of all the different places um, and experiences that the game gives you, it's really cool to see how this, you wouldn't think that some things would connect or relate in any way, and it was cool to see how the game really bridged all of those narrative uh, pieces together. Right. So as someone who grew up with the original, I have to ask you this. How did you feel about the nerf to levitation? Um, I don't know. I didn't really note. I didn't really notice too much. It's hard to tell because since it was so long ago. That's so <laughs> like you were saying before this, the way that this game played, that's kind of how I imagined the old game played also. <laughs> So right. I guess that's I guess that's what applies to me right now. I got you. But if you've played through the two of them, you would notice that levitation is significantly weaker because the bubble that you have when you hold it above your head no longer lasts indefinitely. It uh, now goes away after I think about three seconds, unless you have some air going under it. Oh right, you know and, what? <laughs> that's absolutely right. Yeah. And uh, on top of that, when you use it for long jump, it no longer gives you extra height as well. It's really more just a long jump at this point. But in my opinion, I feel like they did a significantly better job designing the levels around that, you know? In the first game, at least certain parts, levitation felt like it had to be broken because some parts were just that hard to get through without it this game it feels like they were like okay 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 we, we didn't mean for it to affect the game that much so let's tone it down but we're going to make sure you have a plausible way to get through without using it unless you need to get just a little more precision you know i think the game struck a nice balance of that of making it realistic but also challenging 
you know, for some of those harder collectibles or harder achievements, you had to kind of time it perfectly. But if you're playing through the game just normally, I think that you'll find it's sometimes maybe a bit of a challenge, but nothing, you know, clearly um, very difficult to achieve. Right. Another thing that I thought they did really well switching to the modern era was how they brought collectathons here. You know, with, unless you count Mario Odyssey, what with its what, two collectibles with moons and coins, we don't really see a lot of those, especially not with big name budgets attached to them anymore. But I really feel like this game not only did a good job modernizing it, but made it a lot more enjoyable for me than the first one was. Uh, for one thing, figments are significantly more visible. So, in the first game, you know, I'm not trying to complain too much because I understand the original Xbox only had so much power, and now that I'm playing on a Series X, it can shine so much brighter. But the figments, for the most part, are a lot easier to see. And on top of that, I swear to God, there were multiple times I went through a figment in the first one and it said, no, you didn't. And I don't think I ever had that issue here. Yeah, the figments do... There are, are a billion of them. And so I, I had that moment where I was about two-thirds of the way through the game, and I was like, I'm going to get these. And then when I went back to start getting them, actually, to 100% them, I was like, I don't know if I'm going to get these. Right. On top of that, one thing that I think is a big improvement is the fact that the health upgrades happen throughout the entire game as opposed to only seeing them in the final section like you did in the first game. In the first game, you know, you could find the brains throughout the asylum and each one would give you just a little bit more health. This time, most minds have at least two pieces called half a mind. And every time you get two of them, your health upgrades by one brain. And this happens from the very second level, I believe. The first one, when I went back, didn't have any half a mind. I made sure to check that. And so, can, can we take a second to just gush about how all the collectibles have just absolutely brilliant names? Yes. yes. Like the what was it like? Uh, what were the nuggets of wisdom? The one that instantly ranked mm -hmm. you up. The yep. half and they bring mind. back emotional baggage too, which is always a fun one. Yes, and just tiny little detail. I like the fact that the animation gets over faster. This game feels like it respects your time a lot more than the first one did. That's really speaking. Just, oh, good. I was just say that's just one tiny detail on how it, it uh, how it respects your time because the first one it kind of shows that Double Fine started with point and click adventure games before they made a platformer. And the fact that you have to select the item from a menu that you have to be constantly going through. Whereas in the first one, they said, look, we get it. That gets annoying. You just hold on to them forever. Walk up to whoever needs you to have that item. You're good. Yeah, and I think going back to collectibles too, they make it very easy to see what you have, how many are in that level. So they, they do seem to prioritize um, your time and making sure that it's easy if you do want to find them all or see what you have missing uh, in a specific level, uh, that it's really easy and clear to do that. Yes. Uh, Nave, do you want to say something? I'm sorry. Oh, no, I was just clearing my throat. I'll try, I tried to do it quietly, but... <laughs> it's all good. Uh, but So let me ask you this, Bennett. When you 100%ed the game, did you do this before or after the quality of life patch that came out recently? 
uh, updated. Hmm. I, I'm not sure when that patch came out. So if it, I, I, I think it was a couple weeks ago that I finished it. So if it was uh, more recent than then, I wouldn't have. Um, but I didn't have any bugs or, or major quality of life issues um, present. I got you. So there weren't really bugs, but part of the issue was one, uh, it would tell you what you're missing, but it wouldn't tell you where you're missing it. And two, some of the figments were harder to see than others. I, I, overall, visibility is better, but some of them were pretty well hidden. So they've yeah. done two things to change it. One, you can buy a filter for the camera that you get mid-game that if you enter photo mode, it highlights any and all collectibles after you've beat the main campaign. Oh, that's pretty cool. And secondly, if you go back through a level, uh, if there, it divides the levels into certain sections, and as you go between the sections as you transport, there will put a green check mark next to any section that you have all the collectibles within it from. So okay. now you know uh, if you're missing something, which sections you're missing it from. Yeah, so I must have played after the quality of life update then, because I definitely noticed the check marks that made it super easy. And it's actually funny that that filter was one of the last things I bought, and I had pretty much found all of the collectibles by then, so I didn't quite find it um, useful as it probably should have been. Um, so then I would have played after that. But um, on the figments point, there were still a couple that were hard to find, but uh, using a couple guides, it wasn't too bad. Yes. And so I didn't get a lot of the collectibles during the main campaign, at least not ones that. I found outside the levels. But I will say, after I did this and wanted to go back to it, did you guys also find the hub world a lot more fun to explore than Whisking Rock, or was that just me? I mean, since I didn't have a ton of experience with Whispering Rock, I think I did find them at least a little more interesting. Those There are like three, I think, main areas, um, more open areas that you can kind of explore. Um, like the forest, I think was probably my favorite. Um, everything from the the lumberstack diner to um, eventually um, maybe some light story spoilers here. But when uh, Raz's family shows up, kind of exploring some of that too. So I think those areas kind of invite exploration. Um, certain caves and things that are kind of tucked away. Um, but yeah, I think it, they are kind of fun to enjoy and kind of um, take a take a step back from the main campaign to kind of take a breath and take in that world a little bit. And some of those characters I think was, was really well done. Right. Yeah. So I was definitely I, really happy with the, uh, the level design inside of the mines. Oh, absolutely. almost every single one of them. I enjoyed. <laughs> absolutely. I don't think there was a single bad one. I put in my notes no. at its worst. The levels in this game are good. Because For sure. I, I, I think, in my honest opinion, uh, trying not to spoil too much, my, least, my personal least favorite level was probably the one based off of a cooking show, simply because it was just one area. But even then, that one area was fun to get around, you know? Yeah, and that, and that whole premise, too, was, was really, I thought, well done and kind of poking fun at some of those things. And yeah. the animations were really good for the puppets. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Yeah. Can we can we take a moment to talk about Psy King Sensorium? Because that was by far my favorite. You mean the objectively speaking best level with the best music? Correct. <laughs> with the best um, actor brought in, too. Yes. Oh, my God. Having Jack Black in the game, was that was amazing. So uh, he actually, Jack Black has a relationship with Tim Schafer that 
has been around a while. You know he was in Brutal Legend, too, which uh, also was made by Double Fine. Right. I was really so, surprised to learn that it was Jack Black that was playing that guy. So like, I don't think I knew going in that it was Jack Black. I don't remember. I, like, I try to avoid spoilers <laughs> when I can, at least when I play through a game. But uh, then I, at the point where I recognize the voice, I was like, hold up a minute. I think it was during uh, the song where he started singing that I realized this is Tenacious D. But Jack Black. Yeah, no, it was great. I had known that he was going to be in the game because I think uh, beforehand they had released some footage of like Jack Black recording music for it. Um, but I didn't know which character he was. But when I got, there's a there's a scene um, where Jack Black kind of has some dialogue before it opens up into that level. And that's kind of when I knew. And it was this really cool kind of, um, just the humor in that too was amazing. It was really, really well done. Great. Also, I know a lot of people say their least favorite level in this game is the library. I strongly disagree for one reason and one reason only. It introduces the archetype power, and the archetype is my favorite power, both new and returning in this game, for one major reason. It's Gur. That was... <laughs> so isn't Raz also, like, someone from Invader Zim? Yeah, he's Zim. That's what I was thinking. So I didn't look it up, but I knew that guy was Gerd, the archetype. But then I was thinking, it's, this sounds like I'm watching an episode of Invader Zim, just hearing them talk to each other. Right. But I didn't actually put the pieces together. So, like, they put Zim and Gerd together again. And how can anyone dislike this game after that? The one problem I have with the archetype is that it's introduced so late in the game. Like, I, I would have loved to have had this throughout the entire game and just have him as my little buddy helping me get through the levels. Yeah, I, th I think it probably should have been introduced a little earlier. A, it made collecting certain things a lot easier and even possible in the first place. And then B, I think you, you had some of those more introductory powers that seemed a little more on the generic side. Um, so I think it would have been cool to do something different sooner on. If I have one, and I do mean this is like a very minor nitpick in terms of uh, powers, it's that of all the ones that didn't come back from the first Psychonauts game, I would have much rather kept invisibility rather than clairvoyance. I, I get that's probably going to get me stoned because of how much people love using clairvoyance to see how other people see you. But in terms of gameplay and the mechanics, it's really underwhelming compared to the others yeah it seemed like clairvoyance is a bit more gimmicky um like there are a couple of times where i found it humorous to kind of go inside certain characters that you could tell would have a funny perspective but beyond that it didn't seem to have too much of a gameplay or you know narrative uh, yeah. purpose you use it uh i mean i'm sure you guys already know this but especially yeah. bennett but it'll like if you do it on animals i think it lets you see like stashes of arrowheads. It's not arrowheads in this yeah. game. I can't remember what it's called, but Citanium. Yep. Citanium. Which uh funny, the in the first game, the arrowheads are made of Citanium. It's just that now they were no longer shaped to be arrowheads. So, just putting on my glasses going, um actually, they were always Citanium. <laughs> <laughs> uh, man.
but I could gush about this game for a long time. Can we also talk about how I think the transition to HD worked great for this game, even though it kept the art style from the first? That's like miraculous, actually. I was because I played it on the Series X, and when I was playing, I was like, "This is insane! How this doesn't look awful." Like I was right. expecting it. I was like, this, "There's a possibility this looks hideous." But like, just because it's cartoony doesn't, at least in my opinion, doesn't mean it's any less quality than some of your higher detailed games, such as like your Halos, your Call of Duties, uh, your Fortnites that the kids are playing these days. <laughs> but uh yeah and i think that that it is and like a little more cartoony and has that aesthetic also kind of helps it escape some of that you know concern about it looking too photorealistic or trying to you know kind of uh, go after that so i think the fact that it kind of stuck with what it what it knows and did it really well and still come across as really polished um worked well for the game well relative to the era the first game i think at least aged graphically a lot better than other games of that same generation almost for that reason and right. then they realize, like, uh, if you go back and you play, say, one of the generations Grand Theft Autos, like Grand Theft Auto 3 or San Andreas or Vice City, all the faces look really, really blocky and really bad because they're trying to do the most realistic they could with the hardware. And Psychonauts didn't do that. They said, okay, we can do that, or we can have some characters that actually look good for cartoons. You know what's uh, also really cool about that is um, if you look into their eyes, their eyes are in uns- they're unbelievably detailed. Oh yeah, like like you can see like the the slits in their in their uh, what are those things called irises? It's yeah. really interesting, and I think it's cool because like I don't know if you guys have ever like done psychedelics before, but you get really fixated on your eyes, and they become like something that is really, really interesting. And the fact that these characters are super cartoony, but also their eyes are hyper-realistic is just even more flavor on top of, like, the inspirations behind this kind of game, especially, like, the art style. I think that's really cool how they put a lot of effort and a lot of the... (laughs) I don't know what I'm talking about anymore. They put a lot of effort into the eyes specifically, and I like that a lot. Going off of the visual art just a little bit, can we also talk about how great the music for this game was? Not just the Psyche's level. Like, we all know the music for the Psyche's right. level is fantastic and is probably the best song in the game. But that's not the only one that stands out. You've got, at the casino level, has this great upbeat, jazzy brass band, not really brass band, uh, big band swing mm-hmm. going on for it. You've got uh, the questionable area, which has this folksy Pacific Northwest campground feeling. Uh, I just don't think there's a single bad moment. And one of my favorite songs in the game, I can't say anything about other than it's a major spoiler. Uh, I think if you played through the game to the end, you guys know which song I'm talking about, though. Yeah, yeah. But I I do think, to your point, like each area does have a kind of a distinct... Um, and really well done sound, so it's it's nice to kind of go into an area and you just kind of feel the sense of familiarity and comfort with it almost because it has just that such a distinct and really well done um, soundtrack to it. Peter McConnell really outdid himself on this one. By the way, soundtrack is on Spotify. When we're done recording, you two do yourselves a favor and go listen to the <laughs> soundtrack. 
It's our homework. It's your homework. Man, I've been listening to a lot of uh, Halo ODST. That's on Spotify also. It's really cool. Spotify has video game soundtracks. I I know like they did the 2021 Wrapped or whatever, so you can see like all your artists and stuff, and they do the genres too. And my number two genre was video game music, and I'm just like, oh, look at that. I think that for me that was number four. Number one was punk. Number two was ska. Number three was brass bands. Four was video game music, and five was folk. Mine was just metal, metal. It was metal, video games, metal, metal, metal. <laughs> Honestly, not not bad. Not a bad lineup to have. If one thing we talked about both games a little bit this time. One thing that some people might have an issue with, uh, with this game compared to the first, was the fact that, at least in my opinion, I agree with them on this, that this game wasn't as funny as the first game. But also at the same time, I feel like it didn't want to be as funny as the first game. If you play through both of them, you can tell that Psychonauts 2 has a much more serious tone to it. And it's actually trying to, you know, show the weight of what mental health issues can have on somebody. And there, it recognizes there's a time and place for jokes. And it doesn't just happen throughout the whole game. And it's not quite as funny. But I almost like it a little more because it wasn't, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's yeah. like, teach their own, for sure. Um, whenever I, Whenever I was hearing people in reviews and stuff talk about that about how much more serious this game was i was really disheartened going into the game because i probably i was like a week late i think but honestly you're right they really do toe the line pretty well like there's a there's a lot of levity so it's not like a sob fest this is the last of us 2 but it's also not just completely campy i mean no pun intended but completely campy and, and humorous all the time and I think that's fine. I would prefer a little bit more humor because sometimes the the seriousness would go on for a little too long for me. And life's serious enough. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I really do like the way that they approached a lot of different uh, uh, mental problems that people have. And it, it was very creative a lot of the time. It's hard to talk about without just spoiling everything. I don't I'm pretty sure you don't want to spoil stuff. So Right. I'm trying to avoid even the recap that was at the very beginning because it has a spoiler for a twist that was in the first game. It's not a super surprising twist, but they didn't like point at it with big glowing signs in the first game. It was more of they covered it up with a blanket, but didn't bother to make sure the blanket covered the feet as well. Yeah, but going back to your your point about, you know, kind of the the seriousness of the game, you know, as someone who didn't play the first, I guess I can't compare, but I thought it balanced both of those moments pretty well. There was definitely some close to, if not laugh out loud moments for me, but it also gets very dark and serious at times and does cover those issues around mental health well. I think this, when a lot of games try to do that, they come across as tone deaf, and this really didn't. This seemed to be kind of held true to that and knew, like you were saying, when to be serious and when not to be. So even if it may not have been as funny as the first, I think maybe having a balance and not coming across as tone deaf for the sake of humor kind of worked well for the game. Right. So if I have to say, if there's anything I didn't like about the game, at least compared to the first, keep in mind, I generally don't think I have any strong issues with this game. Everything I bring up is at worst a nitpick. Uh, 
I personally didn't find the interns as likable as the very first, as the campers in the first game. For sure. With the exception of Sam, of course, but Sam is essentially evil Dogen, so. Dude, Sam carries her weight, man. Like, they definitely knew what they had with Sam. That's why she recurs so often. Like, you notice, like, most of them just kind of vanish. It felt like that was kind of just, that was kind of disappointing because I thought we would explore them a little bit more, but. Right. Yeah. It it feels a lot different because in Whispering Rock in the first game, there was Bobby, who was the bully. And I can't remember his name, but the one with the big ears, who you know was his lackey, but I'm pretty sure was only with him because he was scared of Bobby. And it's a lot different when there's one bully character versus the first time you meet everyone, they lock you in a closet and steal your clothes. You know? Yeah, that's fair. I mean, since I only played a bit of the first one, I don't know, like, for me, the Bobby character kind of drove me crazy. It was just immediately uh, kind of off-putting. So I like that about the second game, that... At least once you get a little further, um, you start to you can kind of seek out those backstories a little bit and get to know those characters. Um, and they weren't quite as off-putting to me as Bobby was, who I found kind of annoying and um, not quite a. Obviously, you're not supposed to like him, but it just right. was a little too much, I think. I get you, but I'm just saying it for me at least. One bully versus an entire class of bullies. You get what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, that that that's fair. Uh, another thing, and this. I am not the first person to talk about this, nor will I be the last. It, it was annoying having to cycle between having only four abilities that you could have equipped at once versus uh, the fact that you have eight. And sometimes the one that is best for that combat isn't one you already have equipped, so you have to switch out every now and then. But could be worse. I've played mm-hmm. games with significantly worse combat than having to switch out with an easy menu like that yeah and, and at least it allowed you to map it to you know a, whatever button you kind of wanted to between the two triggers and bumpers so you had some kind of flexibility there in terms of ones that you used a lot maybe you map to um one that you like a little bit more yeah for sure that was definitely like a flow killer in almost every combat situation and like the like in the last third of the game you're almost always trying to like flip between different like a couple different powers that work that just counter different enemies since you're fighting so many different ones at the same time right and you would think that they would probably put like like some games have it to where you have like three buttons you can press and then there's another button you hold down and then those three buttons become something else you know what i mean right and so that would be a lot more simple i mean that would only be six abilities but but even then i don't think you'll ever need more than six yeah. Shoot, you really don't need all four most of the time. It's just that you often don't have the one that's best for you equipped at right, the time. Right. Yeah. Did you guys also have like two or three that you kept on almost all the time and just have the one that rotates out, or is that just me? Pretty much. Yeah, that's what yeah. I did. Yeah. I always had like side blast on levitation. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. One thing that I do think they did right going about this is even if you have a suboptimal loadout going at that given time, you can uh, still use almost all of your abilities in combat. The only one that, whilst usable, is just not as good as clairvoyance, and that clairvoyance works on one enemy and one enemy only. But at worst, everything else can at least be used for something in combat, you know? I, I thought that yeah. really helped it. 
Yeah, it did feel relatively balanced. There were some that were clearly more useful in most encounters than others, but um, they all at some point had a had a necessary purpose. Right. So that's it for basically all of my thoughts that I really, really wanted to get down. Do you guys have anything else you wanted to say about the game? I'm kind, I mean, of, sad that, I'm kind of sad that Chris didn't come in. Uh, Chris, do you do you want to come in? I never got a request from you, so I didn't think to ask. Has he been talking in this chat this whole time? Oh no, he has not the whole time. All right, but yeah, this game is really good. Play it, go play it. It's on Game Pass. No, on no Game point Pass. not doing it. Right. Uh, so. This uh this episode is part of my Game of the Year series because you know Game Awards are coming up real soon and this game got nominated for Game of the Year as well as Best Narrative, <laughs> Best Art Direction, Best Game Direction, and Best Action Adventure Game. And I'm just gonna say this: Oof. if this game doesn't win at least one of those, I'm calling shenanigans. Yeah. It, I mean, it, it's it. a. <laughs> It's a very deserving game of, of several of those awards. Right. And I'm going to go one further. This game should have been nominated for Games for Impact. The way it discusses mental health and LGBT issues, like, cannot be ignored. It cannot. And the fact yeah. that it was nominated honestly makes me feel slightly upset and needs some spaghetti. Yeah, that's a pretty good point, actually. Now that you think about it, because yeah. like it's really it's it's eggshells. You got to walk on eggshells whenever you're talking about some some of these things, and especially with like a certain demographic of gamer. You know, you guys know what I'm talking about. But um, it's like I didn't. It's like I didn't even know. There's a character that is like a lot of their story is that they're in they're uh, LGBT, and ah, it's so hard to talk about this game without spoiling anything. Right. <laughs> I'm like stumbling over my words now. But it it was a really I, I didn't even understand what was going on until like the very end when I got hit over the head with it. Right. And that's because it's so natural. Like it's it's totally it's like it's very tonally correct, you know. And especially for someone who's grieving. Yeah. Did you uh did you guys get the undertones with Raz's family that being a psychic is basically the equivalent of being LGBT amongst them? Yeah, that narrative was, yeah, it was subtle, but definitely there. And I thought that was, again, like you were saying, very tonally in line, but a very well done part of that game, for sure. Yes. I kind I of, that's, I think it's, I think it's a little bit less than that. Unless, like, if you've, like, felt that kind of persecution, I think it's so, it's so broad and open that it can be just in, like, inserted into any persecution. Because I kind of was thinking... I was relating to Raz in that whole situation because I'm like a I'm I'm like a completely different person than the rest of my family. Most of my family they're all they're all drug dealers. My my step my stepbrother and my stepdad just now went back to prison. And like that's what my family is like and I moved away from all of that. So like my whole life I was just kind of this outcast in my own family. Just in that kind of way where I was like I want to play Nintendo and they made fun of me all the time. I'm like okay, well, okay, I'm just going to play Torok. <laughs> I don't care. But yeah, so I not only believe this game deserves its Game of the Year nomination, I do believe it should have been nominated for Games for Impact. And Nave, also thank you for sharing that. I'm not trying to walk over that by... <laughs> no, you're good. 
moving along. Uh, so I'm going to say this. I haven't played every game that was nominated for Game of the Year. So I'm not going to be so bold as to say, yes, this one should win when I haven't played all six games. But I will say this. Not only was this the best game that came out this year that I played, this was the best game of this console generation that's come out so far that I've played. I'm, that's that's how bold I'm being about this. Yeah, I think it's up there for me. I think Forza um, is another one um, that seriously um, is kind of right in that same um, ballhouse for me. I've kind of um, the best I've played this year, but it's, it's right there. Um, so I, I did come with kind of my my uh, thoughts on the game in terms of scores. I know you've kind of been doing uh, three different scores, Wes. So if you want me to share those in advance of yours, I can do that just to kind of give my final thoughts on the game. Sure, you go first. Awesome. Well, uh, for your time, I definitely think it's a 10 out of 10. Like we were all just saying, it is certainly deserving of that game of the year um, contention. Um, and I'd put it at a 10 out of 10 for your money, too. Um, you know, not that it's coming off of Game Pass certainly anytime soon, right. but if it does for any reason, um, you know, I think it's a game that's worth $60, and I think some sales have seen it uh, closer to the $40 price range, so I certainly think that would be deserving, but I, I think it is worth every penny, and it is a shorter experience. Um, I think it took me around 27, 28 hours um, to complete it all, but I think the average campaign runtime is around, you know, 12 to 14 or so, so... You know, some people may take issue with that, but I certainly think it's it's worth every penny there. And then finally, for your space, I think it's a nine out of ten. Um, Twenty nine gigabytes is a lot, and maybe over some people's uh, data limits. But when you look at um, comparing this to other AAA games, you know, certainly bigger ones like COD or Red Dead Redemption, you're going to find that twenty nine is pretty reasonable for this this high quality experience. So almost perfect marks for me, but it it is certainly deserving of it. You and I gave very similar scores for your time. Surprise, surprise. I, I, if I'm calling it the best game of this console generation release so far, I can't justify giving it less than a 10 out of 10. I, uh, where we're going to differ is what I put for your space. For me, at 29 gigs, I, I thought an experience this good was an instant 10 out of 10 if all you're doing is downloading it and not spending any extra money. Yeah, fair. Uh, for your money, I not only did I like I get that the game's on Game Pass and because it was published by Xbox, it's not likely to leave Game Pass. But I will say this. If Microsoft makes a physical release of this game, I'm going to buy it just for a collector's item. And if I can say I'm going to buy buy it, even if it never leaves Game Pass, I can't justify less than a 10 out of 10. If they came out with a uh, like a collector's edition, I hope it has that whale that yes, that comes over and over again. Oh, yeah. whale! It's a good way to end it. It is. So this game gets my first ever perfect across the board score. I'm glad that you guys liked it either almost as much as I did or just as much as I did because it was a fabulous game. Heck yeah! All right. I wish I had my own catchphrase for the end. <laughs> so we're about to get to the end. Nave, uh, since you've been here so and you've been very active in this conversation, if you want to plug your podcast a little bit, feel free to do so. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, and my, my co-host is in the audience right now, too, so i got to do it good or he's going to kick me out. <laughs> so um, 
Uh, I'm the Gaming Together Cooperative Podcast, and we talk about co-op games, and that's very loose, very loosely co-op games, because sometimes we mod single-player games and play them together as well. Um, just recently, we did Morrowind, and uh, like I said, we were modding it, and it was kind of like a RuneScape, a third-person RuneScape. That was our experience. Bennett, you don't have a podcast, at least if you do, you didn't tell me you had one. No, that's correct. Um, yeah, no, I'm uh, kind of exploring this space for the first time, and I uh, figured it was something I could give a try, so certainly always uh, open to new opportunities, but uh, yeah, nothing to plug, really. Um, but uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter, at Bennett Gaster, and uh, thanks for having me on. It's been a pleasure. No You're problem. natural, dude. Uh, for those of you listening, but somehow found out about this through not Twitter, you can feel free to follow me at SMGSLT. That is at SMGSLT. Nave, what's your Twitter handle? Uh, our podcast Twitter is basically my personal account now, so it's at uh, Game Together Pod. Because Gaming Together was taken, and Gaming Together Pod is too long. <laughs> All right. And with that, we are done. Thank you, everyone, for joining me. I hope you all have a fantastic rest of your upcoming week. I appreciate it, man. It's always fun.